0: Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor as well as the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber, and if you would like to be a part of the program, you could always give me a call on the listener hotline, which has been very cold lately. Uh, I would love to hear from you, 303. 832-0217. I just checked it the other day, and it is working. Uh, So you can leave a message there, and then I'll play it right here on the old show. Uh, Speaking of the show today, I'm going to be talking about personal rental cars, personal uh, person-to-person buying and selling of cars. You know, we've talked about this in the past, pre-pandemic, really. And and since uh, rental cars have been costing so much lately... I, I thought it was a, a good time to talk about this topic about person-to-person renting cars. You've, you've probably seen that. It, it's uh, an, uh, an option for some people if they think they can go rent a car. Maybe not from the airport. I, I think Actually, maybe they do rent some cars from the airport. Uh, well, I, I guess we'll find that out. Anyway, uh, I, I'm going to be speaking with Grant Feek. And Grant is the CEO of Tread tred.com tread.com. tredcom uh, TRED.com. We'll be talking to him about uh, personal rentals a- as well as person-to-person selling of your car because it's basically what Tread does is person-to-person selling of cars. But uh, I also wanted to talk to uh, Grant about uh, personal rentals and see if it's something that you should look into uh, and maybe it's right for you. I don't know. Anyway. So that'll be coming up in just a minute when I hook up with Grant, Uh, but meantime, uh, the National Transportation Safety Board, did you see that they conducted a study that looked at turbulence in airplanes? My wife gets freaked out by turbulence. So freaked out, she'll grab my arm, she'll close her eyes, it's just the worst experience for her, and I I can understand, but I spent over 8,000 flying hours in a helicopter flying around Denver, so... The, the turbulence doesn't get to me like it does other people and, and uh, it gets to me, I guess a little bit. it's it's unnerving because you're in this craft that you have no control over and uh, you, you know that if if things don't go well, your chances of survival are probably not good. So I think that's why so many people get freaked out by turbulence. but it's really not turbulence that causes r- crashes. It's really not the reason for issues, at least with crashes, of airplanes. But it turns out that turbulence can cause and does cause more injuries on U.S. airplanes than any other cause. One of the key findings in this report from the NTSB is the inadequacies of pilot-generated weather reports. And these weather reports by the pilots, they're created in flight, and then they are transmitted to the air traffic control. So basically, this NTSB report found that there are a bunch of problems with planes telling other planes and the ground telling other planes that there is turbulence in that area, and maybe you should do this or do that, go up, go down, go slower, faster, to to get away from the Turbulence. People, nobody likes, and the pilots don't like to have you fly through turbulence either. They understand that it's uncomfortable for you when you're flying back there. They don't really like it. They don't really mind it, uh, but they know that you really, really don't like it. And there's really no standard terminology for the seriousness of turbulence. And and the pilots, typically they wait until they're already in it or, or well beyond it before they generate and send a report to the ground, Uh, really less than 10% of these weather-related notifications get to controllers, including a weather or turbulence report, and then the controllers don't have a standard way of dealing with these reports from the pilots, and then they might be just too overloaded to deal with them right away, and therefore the next plane that's coming through that area doesn't get warned about upcoming turbulence and otherwise could be notified and, and, and avoid it altogether and make your flight maybe a little bit more comfortable. Now the NTSB is hoping that automation can help solve this issue. Now to account for the subjectivity of individual pilots, some feel that turbulence is worse than others, just like you feel worse than others in an airplane if you come across turbulence and the severity of it. The NTSB is recommending that they create some kind of a system that would use technology to measure the conditions like turbulence and then send that automatically to the air traffic control so that it can warn following air aircraft automatically without really taking the human element out of the whole thing now there have been some tests of these systems in recent years and the recommendation really is to use some onboard software on the aircraft that can collect that real-time data on the airspeed, the angle of attack, creates a, it's called an eddy dissipation rate. It's comparable basically to the height of a wave in the ocean. So several commercial systems are available to do this. And uh, the global airline organization, the IATA, they would like to shift to an open source system called Turbulence Aware it actually lets airlines create this turbulence reporting system that automatically reports any turbulence higher than, let's say, a preset value, reports it automatically to aircraft uh, air traffic control. The controllers warn the following aircraft. Uh, Boeing already o- or offers this software on some of its planes. It's also available for retrofit. So this turbulence-aware uh, system is is in use by 15 operators. 1,500 aircraft are using it, so it is starting to help, but they want it to be on a more nationwide, United States-wide basis. And the NTSB is also recommending that the FAA updates its guidance on preventing injuries from turbulence, because it would be good to see the FAA at least encouraging airlines to embrace turbulence-aware, if not requiring it, uh, requiring it because we all want to have a more comfortable flight, right? That's what it all comes down to, having a more comfortable flight because we all know how people get angry. And, uh, well, because of the mask thing, no alcohol thing, and, of course, they still are fighting on airplanes, which is never a good thing. I've talked quite a bit about the issues and expense with rental cars uh, post-pandemic. It's still much more expensive to rent a car the traditional way than it has been in the past. There is another option, though, that is becoming more popular, renting out your own personal car. I talked about companies that let you do that like Turo, but now, in a world of COVID and work from home, for some, is it a good idea or a bad idea to rent out your personal car to somebody else that you don't know? Joining me now to talk about this, as well as other car issues, is Grant Feek. Grant is the CEO of the website called TRED, spelled T-R-E-D, TRED.com. TRED says they make it easy for consumers to buy and sell cars. Grant, thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: So, Grant, there are a bunch of used car questions I want to ask you here in just a little bit. But first, let's talk about this idea of renting out your own car. The thought of maybe making a couple hundred bucks every month, it's appealing. But is it really worth the potential interior or exterior damage that is possible with renting out my car? It's a great question.
1: I think that is the question.
0: Um, And generally, uh, you know, when you think
1: about an asset like a vehicle, take like, for example, a 10-year-old vehicle uh, with one owner. uh, That vehicle is going to be worth more than the same vehicle that's had, let's say, four owners and the reason for that is you know the algorithm the pricing algorithms and the insurance people and they 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 prefer fewer owners and um you know the opposite side of that spectrum would be a rental car (laughs)
0: yeah
1: (laughs) The, the analogy that i always use is it's like you know treated like a jet ski basically you know hammered and floored and hitting the brakes and and so you just don't really know when you have a lot more owners of a vehicle so so yes there's you know if you're if you are um you know, renting out your own vehicle, it is akin to turning your vehicle into a rental car. And that certainly does have, you know, whether or not that gets picked up by your vehicle condition reports, I think that's a question. It might not. It is possible, I think, to, you know, to, to join. By the way, Turo is a platform and, and we know the Turo team. We think really highly of them. Uh, great platform. Um, but, you know, I think you can get away with renting your car in Turo without that information necessarily hitting your vehicle history report. Um, so that the next buyer would be aware of it, but regardless of that, you know, your vehicle is going to get, um, you know, I've heard plenty of horror stories from people that, you know, their cars can get trashed pretty regularly. Um, now is, is that value loss greater than what you're going to make? Probably not. Like you're probably going to make enough money for being honest that it's going to outweigh, I mean, depending on how, how frequently you're renting it out, but I would assume that if you're renting your car out pretty actively, you're going to more than make up Uh, for the the cost of any damage to your vehicle. Um, So, you know, I I think it really comes down to are you willing to lend out your vehicle and and how interested in making extra cash are you? And if if you are, then I think it's a great option.
0: But when you rent something uh, as a renter, you don't you don't take care of it like you do when you own something. I, I know that's true. <laughs> by the way, I treat rental cars. I mean that alone would keep me from entering this market. So, do you think you'd only see maybe less desirable cars out there that people are willing to just, I, I just to give up and say, I, I guess I really don't care if it gets beat up a little bit more.
1: You know, it's funny, my, my mom just bought a loaner uh, from a dealership, which I, I always have coached my parents, don't ever buy a former a former rental car or, or loaner car, and they, my mom just got a great deal on a on a loaner car, <laughs> so I'm, I'm laughing about this, but no, I mean, I, I think you genuinely see, I mean, the, the cool thing about owning a really nice car is you can make a lot of money on Turo, you know, if you own a a fancy, i just call it a fancy car, like something European or something with a, you know, a couple extra exhaust pipes, um, they're going to run out for a lot of money. So I actually do think you see you see a lot of exotic vehicles, a decent number of exotic vehicles on Turo as well. And, you know, a lot of Turo's clientele, in fact, um, I believe, you know, their, their supply side, the people that they have uh, providing the vehicles are consolidating. You know, you're, you're they're getting more and more, people on Turo that are providing, you know, starting fleets that are purchasing vehicles just for renting them on Turo and kind of becoming their own P2P agencies within within Turo. But I know that's not the, the, the topic of conversation here, but, um, you know, I do think Turo has a very good selection of vehicles, last, at least last, last time I checked.
0: No, it's interesting because it seems then it would be cost effective uh, especially for, I, I have a car that's a 2014, my wife's car is a 2013, and they're banged up a little bit, but they're overall not too bad, and, and they work great for us, get us where we need to go, so it does seem like you're making enough money. It, it, what kind of money can we be making uh, if I'm renting out my car?
1: Well, I mean, it depends, obviously, on, on on the demand and, you know, where you live and what kind of vehicle you have, but I would say if you have a, you know, if you're, if you're in Colorado and you have a you know, SUV, or if you're in California and you have a convertible, you know, et cetera, um, I think you can make a lot. I think you can make, you know, a thousand, thousand plus dollars a month pretty easily.
0: Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, that's good. what I'm saying
1: is I, I think it outweighs, you know, from a financial standpoint, I do think it it can outweigh the, um, the the, you know, reduction in the depreciation to your vehicle it's really just the question, though, of, you know, do you want to go through the hassle? Because it is a hassle. You have to respond to requests. You have to bring in the car to somebody. You have to communicate with them. You have to clean it after they're finished with it. You know, so there's just a lot of legwork. And, you know, I think for a certain kind of person, it's a great idea. And for a lot of people, it's probably not a great idea.
0: And maybe it's just surging because of the cost right now of traditional rental cars going through the roof. I mean, they sold all their cars initially during the pandemic, and now yep. they're trying to catch up. So maybe this is just a temporary surge in um, needing, uh, you know, needing a different option to find rental cars. I,
1: I don't think, yeah, I think that I don't think Turo is going anywhere. I think Turo is going to continue to be a great platform. I, I would assume that they're, they're ha- they have a lot of tailwinds right now. I think you're right. Um, you know, the supply shock, the the lack of access to new inventory has really had a lot of ripple effects in the space. And and uh, so there's no question that that your traditional rental car agencies are having a lot of trouble. So I, w- I would expect that Turo would be doing really well right now. You're right, for
0: sure. Uh, I'm speaking to Grant Feek. He's the CEO of the website TRED, T-R-E-D, Tread.com about personal rental cars. We'll talk in a minute about uh, peer-to-peer buying of cars. Are, are there Are there any traditional rental cars that you think that just don't smell like smoke? I, I, I haven't found one yet. It, it's funny. I don't know what
1: it is about about uh, cigarettes, but you know, you smoke in a car one time, and it pretty much is like being scarred for life.
0: Uh, I, um, every time I go uh, to go get a rental car, my kids they have to open up the back seat and they open up the door and they go. They stick their head in. And they go, Dad, this one's not good. Uh, Dad, this one's really bad. And then they go, All right, we can take this one. It's my kid test.
1: Yeah, well, it's funny. One of the things that we ask when sellers list cars with us is we ask, you know, has your vehicle been smoked in and do you have a, has, has a dog been in the car? Because those are, you know, those are two things that absolutely uh, stick with the vehicle. I mean, you can only ozone bomb a, an interior of a car so many times. And, uh, you know, some of those smells really don't go away. And that, that's, it gets into why, you know, test driving a vehicle is important. Um, you know on our platform uh we list all kinds of vehicles i think we have 5 or 6000 vehicles on the platform right now for sale and you know uh buyers are are not obligated to test drive they can they can order a vehicle sight unseen and have it delivered to their house anywhere in the country but you know 90% of our buyers do uh choose to test drive cars and and that's one of the reasons is you know what does it smell like you know what is it what does it sound like when you hit the brakes hit the gas how does it how does it handle um, a lot of these things are. It's just very important to go experience the car in a sensory way. We call it kind of scratching and sniffing, but you know, a, a test drive is an important part of the purchase process in our in our opinion. Well,
0: let's keep looking at the used car market. I was looking at my vehicle. It's a 2014 Chevy Volt, and I see uh, that there was one on sale on your site that's similar to mine in mileage for about eleven thousand five hundred. It's definitely higher than what it had been over the last couple of years. So do you think prices are just temporarily inflated with so many problems with the chips to the new car makers and uh, the part problem getting uh, parts to uh, older cars and newer cars? Do you think this is just a temporary bubble that's going to be subsiding anytime?
1: Uh, I, yes, a, a great question. I mean, so there are a lot of factors that are sort of, you know, there's sort of a confluence of things that are happening that are driving – in particular, used car pricing up. And I think the first thing that I would really mention is, uh, and this is an important thing to realize across the board, not just with vehicles, but with all assets, inflation is happening right now, which means the value of money is going down. So it, it's easy to look at a car and say, wow, it cost 13,000 today and it was worth 12,000 six months ago, it's, it's increasing in value. And yes, it's true, but, but you know, in an inflationary environment, what's really happening is the value of the US dollar is decreasing. And so, it's, it's I think it's important to remember that. So that's the first thing that's going on, I would say. And then the second thing that's going on is, you know, there aren't new cars to buy. And so, when dealers aren't getting new cars, uh, dealers have to find cars from other places, which are auctions and trade-ins, basically. And um, that drives that drives the value of these vehicles up. And I think when you combine an increase on the demand side to a decrease in the supply side, so on the demand side we have stimulus checks that are have been going to to Americans we have we have american families that are wanting to get out and travel again and at least go on road trips with their family and just do stuff and so i think i think you have some supply side factors and you have some demand side factors and you have some inflationary kind of macro factors and it's all it's all spelling just i mean so we've seen vehicle values up as much as 50% 50% in the last year and like low to mid single digits per month. And I in, in the time that I've been in the auto space, we've never seen anything quite like it. And um, I don't think it'll continue. No, I think I think if you are if you are a buyer or a seller of a car, as long as you have a car to sell, you're fine. Like go ahead and go ahead and sell your car and buy a new one because you're gonna get the advantage of this inflation when you sell your car into it, into this market. But I think the people that are kind of in trouble right now are the first-time buyers that are just buying a car. And I would caution you I actually would caution you to wait if you can't. I mean, obviously you might not be able to wait, but I do think in another six to twelve months, hopefully closer to six, um, a lot of these countries that have chip manufacturing are gonna have hopefully more access to the vaccine, get people back to work. Um, you know, new cars will, will, will be coming off lot coming to the lots again. And when that happens, what's likely to happen is the manufacturers will really incentivize. Uh, consumers on the pricing and then that will drive used car pricing down considerably. So I, I do think that's going to happen. Also, I think rates are going to rise. Uh, that will also help. Um, so I, I do think this craziness is going to end, <laughs> but, but, you know, realistically you, you, people can't always wait. So wait, if, if you're a new, if you're first time buyer, wait, if you can, but you know, if you can't, then you're going to have to just bite the bullet a little bit.
0: I in one instance I read recently somewhere I can't remember where I read this, but it was a a new car dealer who sold a car and then contacted that car buyer soon after and said, "Hey, we'll we'll buy that car back because we can actually sell it as a used car for more than what you bought it for."
1: Uh, there's been a lot of that. We've we have heard of that, that happening. <laughs> the other crazy trend is leasing. So if you lease a car and let's say you're you know two and a half years into a three year lease your the street value of your car is going to be considerably higher than your residual value and so what that means is it makes you know it makes no sense to sell your car back to give your car back like you're you're going to want to either buy that car um or you're going to want to resell it on the marketplace uh on on the actual like yourself um so you know if your residual value is you know if you let's say you have a like so i have a 2018 Forerunner with a residual value in like the 25 26,000 range. It's definitely worth in the low 30s right now. And my lease is going to expire in October. And so, you know, I I would be crazy not to sell it um on Tread. Sure. <laughs> so, um so we see a lot of people coming to our marketplace right now with leases.
0: I'm speaking to Grant Feek, he's the CEO of that website called Tread, tread.com, t r e d.com about uh Person-to-person car sales, your website, Tread, as I'm looking at it now, it says you can buy for 30% less and sell for 30% more. But with the craziness of the market right now, is that just 30% more and less against a car dealership or in the open market?
1: Yes. Yeah, so the on the seller side, we're comparing to basically a, a trade-in offer from a dealer. So we're telling the seller you can get 30% more than than you know, if you trade in your car to a dealership. And on the buyer side, we're comparing to um, dealer retail. So if you were to buy this car at dealer retail, it would be 30% more than what you're paying for it on tread. So the numbers we're comparing to are are wholesale versus retail and they're very different numbers. Um, Generally, I would say that it is an interesting time right now, there's no question that dealers and alternative dealers like Carvana and Vroom are just spending a treasure trove of money Trying to figure out how to buy vehicles directly from consumers, um, regardless of whether they're buying a car, you know, just we want to. It's not so much about trading in as, as it is just we want to buy your car. And I think the offers that they're making are are definitely more competitive than they've ever been. Um, notwithstanding, you know, we've seen a surge of usage uh, from sellers because you know we still are allowing them to get much much more than those numbers. So. Um, you know the way we do that is, you know, when you list your car with us as a seller, uh, we we list your car on about a dozen different websites, and you you manage it all through Tread. A lot of the websites we list on are dealer only because we are a dealer, um, so you couldn't list those you couldn't list on those websites even if you wanted to. Uh, and then we also offer your buyers financing, and you know probably forty percent of used car buyers finance. And so that opens you up as a seller to a lot more buyers as well. Um, And of course, we're also offering warranties, gap coverage. We allow sellers to sell their vehicle as a certified car if if their car qualifies. So, um, you know, we're also verifying the payment. So when the buyer pays for the vehicle, we're going to tell you with absolute certainty and, and, you know, uh, assurance that you are gonna get paid. And we back that up, and so it's not, you know you can now release your vehicle. Whereas in the private market, as a seller, it's very challenging to figure out how to market your car, photograph your car, price your car, uh, and then you know accept payment in a dark alley somewhere for thousands of dollars. So um, it's it's a nice cashless experience that we have. Uh, conversely, for the buyer, you know if you go to a dealer and look at, at equivalent vehicles, or if you go to Carvana or Vroom, you, know, you go to any of these sites, you are typically going to see our car, our vehicles are significantly cheaper. Um, not always because the sellers do have the ability to list the cars for however much they want. But if the sellers are ad- adhering to our guidance and the prices that the cars will actually sell for, um, you know, you'll notice that our vehicles are just thousands and thousands of dollars cheaper. And that's really the main reason that buyers are, are interested in our platform. And then of course we have rapid online financing and, and warranties and gap coverage. So, um, you know, we, really are, we see a future in which you know, today, the, 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 what you might call the P2P used car market, depending who you, you talk to and depending on the data you're looking at, it's about 30 to 50% of the overall used car market. And the remainder of it is you know, dealers, uh, new and independent dealers that are selling used cars. You know, we really believe that the P2P piece of the market is going to eat a lot more share as more people realize that there's just an easier way to sell your vehicle yourself or buy a vehicle yourself um and and the reason is not that it's necessarily as instant and easy as just ordering something and having it show up at your driveway but it's because you save thousands of dollars we're not talking about hundreds of dollars we're talking about you know three four five six seven thousand dollars and for most people and kind of the 99 you know who the car might be the biggest asset that they own you know that's a really big deal it's a compelling value proposition
0: I'm um, speaking with Grant Feek. He's the CEO of the website Tread, TRED, T-R-E-D, TRED.com, about uh, person-to-person car sales. Some people, my wife included, have the feeling, and maybe this is just a deep-rooted feeling that she's had for, for years and years, but she has a feeling that they that, that she can trust the car she buys at a dealer more than she could from a private person or even from any any of the websites like, like yours. She thinks that she has a recourse to from a company or, you know, from this dealer, if there's a problem with it or, or some other issue, she has a place to go. How do you win people over like that?
1: It's a great question. So our vehicles are uh, safety inspected. We are verifying that the, the, the seller is the registered owner. We are, um, you know, uh, doing what's called a KYC on the seller to make sure that they're vetted in terms of who they are you know making sure they haven't been laundering money to support terror or on a politically sensitive list (laughs) um so we do a lot to scrub the seller of our vehicle we also do a lot to scrub the vehicle itself so we work with the state to understand its uh, lean history its title history it's it's uh you know it's conditional history and we also are having vehicles inspected and safety assessed, and if there are any other requirements, depend on the state. For example, in some states, we have like VIN inspections, smog inspections, things like that. Those are all satisfied before the vehicle is offered for sale. Do you, pay for the,
0: do you pay for that inspection cost? Yes. Okay.
1: Yes, we do. And we also offer the buyer, so the seller has the opportunity with Tread, if they want, they can certify their vehicle, if their vehicle qualifies. And what that means is we offer their vehicle to the buyer with a three-month, 3,000-mile 3, warranty on it. And then also, in addition to that, our buyers, if they want, have the ability to add a vehicle service contract to any car. And that's an, it's an add on, it costs, you know, costs money, but our markups are very cheap compared to the traditional dealer. Um, you know, we mark up the, the contracts, a fraction of what, of what a traditional dealer would. So they're quite affordable. Um, and, you know, it's pretty clear when you're going through checkout on our, on our site that you're, you know, you have the ability to do that. If you want to add a, a warranty of, you know, kind of one uh, or or a vehicle service contract that ranges, I believe we range from one to seven years on
0: most vehicles. So is that part um, of that, is that part of the tread fee?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so as a buyer, you know, you would need to pay for that product and that product is going to depend on the vehicle. Um, you know, it's, it's very specific to the vehicle. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, we do have all the same protections that you can get at a traditional dealership for sure. What we find, and this is the same thing that traditional dealerships find, um, if something goes wrong, and look, these are all used cars, so they're not perfect. Uh, we can inspect the car perfectly and we can do everything right. And something can still go wrong with the car after it's purchased. Um, so what we find is when problems do occur. Uh, customer, you know, buyers are very upset with us and even though we're not contractually obligated to do anything, cause we've offered the vehicle as is, you know, we, we, we will typically come in and, and help, um, conversely when something goes wrong and they purchased a warranty, you know, they love us because everything's covered for free. And so, you know, I, I always encourage whether I'm talking to my parents or, or, you know, other, other customers we always encourage, you know, if you're buying a used car, um, you know, of course there are nuances depending on the age and whether it's a European car, Asian car, American car, there's lots of nuance there. But generally speaking, you know, we, I always recommend that you purchase a vehicle service contract if you're buying a used car that's out of warranty because you just, you just never know what's going to happen. And um, if you're going to be sensitive, you know, if you're, if you're loaded, if you're wealthy and, a six thousand dollar repair bill isn't going to be isn't going to bother you. Then maybe you don't need a warranty. But everyone else uh, really should buy extended coverage on the on a used vehicle, in my opinion.
0: But this is different than those phone calls that I get constantly every single day, telling me that my car is out of its extended warranty and that I need to buy one right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's, <laughs> or is it the same uh, thing?
1: Yeah, it, it's it, well, it's I think it's worth considering. I mean, I, I don't know what their pricing is or how they're marking up or or what they're offering you. But uh, I would say, especially if you have like a, um, I mean, Japanese cars don't break. They, they really don't break. They're, they're, they're so, I, I've owned nothing but Toyotas for the past six or seven years. And um, really, am a type kind of a Toyota fan. Um, uh, European cars are wonderful. Uh, they're quality. It's just that when they break, it costs a lot to fix them. Yep. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, So, I mean, you know, if you're, if you own a, if you own a European car with over, you know, 80,000 miles, you're starting in, in my opinion, you're starting to get into danger territory. Um, So, you know, it's all, and and then American cars are great, but you know, they, they're cheaper than the Euro cars, but you know, they do tend to break more than Asian cars. And so, so, you know, they're just, there are a lot of, um. there are a lot of considerations based on the specifics of how you're using your car, what you're using it for, what you're driving and how, how old it is. But, but generally I, I do think, you know, if you're out of warranty, uh, it's really smart to have some kind of protection, uh, some kind of coverage on your vehicle.
0: I have Grant, uh, Feek right here. He's the CEO of their website called tread, T R E D about the person to person car selling, uh, on his, on his, uh, website, you can get it to it at uh, tread.com. These, um, websites like yours and places like Carvana and uh, these other ones that we see popping up and the ones where you can just take your phone and take a picture of your car and then boom, you're trying to sell it like you do on eBay. It really has, and the internet itself with Craigslist and, and uh, eBay and, and even Facebook Marketplace, it really has changed the traditional car dealership and how they deal with other people because there's so much more information on the internet right now i can go to the dealership or i can go to your site or any of the sites and i I have so much more information i I can make a better purchase right
1: yeah i mean there's no doubt that the you know pandora's box of, of pricing information and vehicle history information and and all these things was open you know long ago now i mean it's been what is what are we in now? Twenty twenty one. So I mean, Auto Trader started going
0: online in like the late nineties.
1: You know, they were a classified site. Oh man, and... I used to
0: love to get those magazines, those Auto Trader books. <laughs> oh, when they came yeah. out, when they got a book of them, it was great. Yeah, yeah. So you're a little older than I am, but I probably I <laughs> but... think I'm probably a lot older than you are.
1: <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I mean, you know, the, there've been a, there've been a few sites that have come along, and yeah, I would put True Car in that in in the story as well in terms of just really you know going after in a radical way kind of putting putting price information and opening it to the to the internet and and you know i do think consumers have more information than ever for sure and they're able to do their research before going to the lot which i would always you know recommend i i think going to the lot and, and test driving cars is a, is a great thing to do kind of earlier in the process to figure out what you want and then once you figure out kind of what you want, you, you can do a lot of the deal making now from, uh, you know, from your computer. And, um, and so I do think that the, uh, the, the the landscape is changing, I think it'll continue to change. And the future that we're really excited about is just, you know, one in which, you know, if you think about how often people trade, you know, sell and buy homes, the cadence is pretty similar to how often they buy and sell cars. and. You know, it shouldn't that shouldn't be the case. I mean, in my opinion, people should be transacting cars much more frequently than homes. Um, But I think it just points to the fact that the car buying and selling process is not easy, and therefore people kind of shy away from buying or selling a car with more regularity. And you know, we see a future in which people can just pull out, pull their phone out of their pocket, and they kind of have like a dealer dealership ability in their back pocket, they just kind of pull it out and do I want to buy a car? Do I want to sell my car? What do I want to do here? And it's just so easy that we're hoping for a future in which people are transacting cars every two or three years instead of every 10 or 12 years.
0: That's interesting. Um, I would think a lot of people like me, I'd rather just buy a car and keep it for a long time rather than try to... Because I went through that process of leasing every three years and I understand the whole philosophy of you rent things that depreciate and you own things that appreciate. And so that I was into that mode, but at least in Colorado, when you buy a new car, the price of your registration for the license plate and for the tags is tied to the ownership tax, which is based on the, the, not the sell, not the, the, uh, I think it's the manufacturer price of the vehicle. So you buy a, Fifty-five thousand-dollar car. Your license plate's going to cost you fifteen hundred or eighteen hundred dollars, which is crazy. Um, yeah, and you a lot. get to, yeah, and you get down to eventually a point where it's kind of a. I, I spent still a hundred and sixty dollars on my car, which is now what seven or eight years old. Um, and and this is one of the few states that do that. You know, other states it's a flat fee of you know a hundred or maybe a hundred fifty dollars, whatever it is. Uh, but that really hurts you if you're going to be buying a new car all the time. And it was hurting me to the point where I said, I'm going to buy a used car and I'm going to keep it forever. Cause I'm, I'm sick of, uh, uh you know, spending almost a thousand dollars or over a thousand dollars on, on my license plate fee.
1: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, blue States are a little more expensive typically, uh, than red States for licensing vehicles in Washington state. It's, you know, it's annual. So you wouldn't be able to get around that in Washington. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's no question that that municipalities are are getting you know when wanting to invest in public infrastructure wanting to invest in you know in in the Seattle region there's this uh, there's a huge project to basically add light rail to the whole region, and you know it's if you're a resident of the Seattle area or or anywhere that's impacted, it's you know it's we're talking hundreds of dollars a year in uh, in taxes to own a vehicle so yeah, I mean I think that's happening across the country and it, it does make it it does make it challenging. But I think notwithstanding, you know, one of the things that the market has had proven out in the past couple of years, and we're even hearing this from from some of some other companies that we're talking to, you know, even like the ride sharing companies are acknowledging that, you know, um, their riders when they, when they pull their riders and ask them questions you know, 80, 90% of them still own cars and don't plan to get rid of their cars. So I think one of the things that's changed in the past, you know, handful of years is I think the the industry, the investment industry, the consumer industry, people are starting to realize that, you know, car ownership isn't going anywhere. And that wasn't the case five years ago. You know, five years ago, the prevailing wisdom was cars are going to go away. And we're if there, there'll there be some cars, but they're going to drive themselves. and and I think now we're realizing, okay, the autonomous car future is really cool, and it's coming, but it's going to take a really long time. It's not, it's not simple from a tech standpoint. It's not simple from an infrastructure standpoint. It's not simple from a regulatory standpoint. And so, you know, people will continue to own cars, and um, and so that's that that that's been a very interesting change in kind of the. The, the sort of the zeitgeist of, of the people that we even you know that I've been interacting with,
0: but I've talked to a lot of people who say with autonomous cars because they are uh, coming, they are gonna. I, I actually talked to somebody that said in the next 30 years it's gonna be so dangerous, um, for humans to be driving cars that it's gonna be only autonomous cars at that point, so it's it, it's gonna be in the next 15, 20, or 30 years. So at that point, when we are in autonomous cars, he also believes that. We're not going to be maybe owning our own cars that most people, especially in urban areas, densely populated areas, that they are going to be using more of the rideshare autonomous cars that are all shared rather than owning your own. It might be different if you're living outside of a city center or more in the rural areas, but that's going to change the entire used car landscape and, and uh, buying and selling cars and driving cars. So. Uh, are, are are you looking past 20 years or are you looking past 30 years or, 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 or are you only looking for like uh, uh, your your website right now and in the next five or 10 years?
1: Yeah, I, I would be surprised. So an interesting analog to think about is like horses versus cars. And there actually are more horses in the United States today than there were 100 years ago. And a hundred years ago is about when cars started to exist um, and people started to, get, you know, get rid of their horses. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's just an interesting look. And, and I guess the point is, and this is kind of more of a comparison to internal combustion versus electric cars. But, uh, but it's relevant in the sense that I, I would caution you to assume that even in 20 to 30 years, consumers aren't going to want to drive. And not everybody, you know, not everybody. There are plenty of people that will just want to get in something and press a button or use their Google Glass or whatever. That's, you know, we'll all be cyborgs, even more <laughs> cyborgs than we already are by then. But, you know, a lot of people won't want to drive. But I do think a lot of people will want to drive. Um, and so I would just caution you to sort of those assumptions that everything will change. I don't think it will. Um, I think that consumers will continue to. And this is one of the headwinds for Turo. Uh, You know, your car is kind of an extension of your house in a way. You keep stuff in it. You have things in it. Your family uses it. And I just, I would be surprised if we're all migrating to sort of an Uber style driverless Uber fleet future where it just picks us up, takes us where we want to go. I mean, in this country, we want to own stuff. We want to have stuff. We want to. We want to use stuff and we want to sort of have the freedom to use it how we want to use it. And so um, I, I do think that that fleet ownership will increase. I think whether it's Uber or Lyft or whomever, once autonomous driving is really working, I think it'll open up. I mean, the economics will make rideshare really cheap and that's an exciting future for sure. Uh, but I just think you're going to still have more people owning vehicles than, than you might uh, than you might assume.
0: Yeah, I I hope the same thing. I I like driving personally. I um there are so many. I have the dream of owning a 1961 Corvette uh, that will probably never come to fruition. But I still can have the dream. And if they get rid of gasoline and they get rid of uh, personal driving, then my dream is just gonna be. It's gonna be like a toot in the wind, just fly away with. <laughs> there'll be nothing, <laughs> nothing there to enjoy. Well, I mean, a lot
1: of people are talking about it right now as it relates to um, internal combustion. So I I know Porsche has recently invested a lot of money in sort of a zero emissions uh, fuel that will still allow for internal combustion. And, you know, they are just a lot of gearheads that really enjoy driving and they enjoy the sound and the feel of an internal combustion engine. So there's a lot of talk right now about that and people not wanting cars to go all electric because – of the enjoyment of driving internal combustion. Uh, So I think that's kind of relevant um, to this notion that like, you know, there's going to be a, I think a pretty sizable undercurrent of people that will want to continue to sort of drive their own cars, but, uh, or at least, you know, and whether that means you press the, you know, I I kind of envision there's a play button, there's a work button, there's a drive button, and there's like a sleep button. (laughs) And you can kind of be in any mode you want, but I still think people are going to own that car.
0: I think all the buttons right now are in a Tesla. Because yeah, everybody's <laughs> – they're all doing that right now and getting caught for it. That's right. Yeah, Tesla's
1: got some cool – there's some cool tricks. Yeah. Can, I don't know if you know about some of these like uh, playing music and dancing oh, yeah. in a parking lot.
0: Yep, and some of the different sounds uh, they, that it can simulate an engine or simulate different sounds. and.
1: Yep, yeah, I like dog mode. There's a thing called dog mode where if your dog's in the car, it keeps the HVAC on. And right. Puts on the screen, don't worry, this dog is protected by climate control, so no no one breaks into the car to save your dog. I
0: think that's pretty smart. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Uh, Unusual vehicles are always popular in certain areas here in the West. We like our campers, SUVs, that sort of thing. Can anybody sell any kind of car or vehicle on Tread.com? Can you sell a van or a bus or a camper or even really high end cars?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are some lines to be drawn. It really depends on you know, our access to data, if we have data on the vehicle from our data partners, you can sell it. So, you know, some of the big Ford Econovans and, and Sprinter, Mercedes Sprinters and, and uh, things like that. Yes, we sell a lot of those. Um, if you're talking about a proper RV with septic systems, we we don't quite go there. Um, but there is a cool site called Rollick, dot um, com that uh, that does a good job as sort of the auto trader for uh, for RVs and campers if you're looking for that type of thing
0: and also this is just a marketing thing I was as I'm watching your website here you have it as the most trusted person-to-person used car marketplace but Mercedes always markets their used cars as certified Um, pre-owned did you ever think about calling them pre-owned cars instead of used cars
1: yeah maybe we should maybe that's a nicer uh, maybe that's a nicer moniker um, used cars is a little bit better for SEO purposes uh, search engine optimization sure. is why, is why we have it on there but uh, and also used is only four characters pre-owned yes. is probably <laughs> right. 15 characters or to 12 characters so fits a little better on the, on the page but it's not a bad idea yeah pre-owned definitely sounds better than used no question about it.
0: So what do you think the used or pre-owned car market's going to look like in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years? What will we be driving or what are we going to be selling and buying from each other?
1: Well, I think in five years, you're going to see pricing that looks a lot more uh, down to earth than it has uh, the last year or so, certainly. So that'd be the first thing that I think you'll see kind of correct itself. And then I think as we as you sort of head from five years to twenty years, it's obviously very difficult to say. But um, you know, vehicles are going to get uh, better and better, and as they do get better and better, they're going to last longer and longer on the road. And you know, I, I think they're going to get more expensive as they get cooler. Um, and there, it's particularly as autonomy becomes more of a a thing that more OEMs know how to build. Um, you know they're gonna they're going be uh, things that just last a really long time and so um, I would assume that you're going to see the percentage of inventory that's represented by used increase over time um, so if you're looking at the number of transactions in a year you know call it 15 million transactions on the new side maybe 40 million on the used side this year or probably closer to 16 or 17 on the on the new side but you know, if there were 50, just round up to 60 million transactions this year, um, you know, and 40 you know, 40 of those are, are used, I would suspect in another 20 years you're going to see used represent a bigger, a bigger percentage slice of the pie just because, um, you know, cars are going to last longer and longer. And in terms of the fleet makeup of them, I do think you'll see a bigger percentage of vehicles owned by fleets, kind of like what's happening on Turo right now. Um I think as you as you point out, like it will make sense for Google and Uber and Lyft to own, you know, bigger fleets that uh can just basically be at pretty close to, you know, well, at least higher utilization than they are today, because without the rider in the picture, or excuse me, without the driver in the picture to have to decide when they want to work or not work, um, you know, and, and instead of Uber having to really incentivize people to work when they want them to work on the supply side. Uh, those problems go away when you have cars that just drive themselves around and have better utilization. So, so I do think uh, I do think you'll see you know more fleet ownership, um, and uh, probably fewer OEMs. You know I don't think everyone's going to survive the either the leap to electrification or the leap to autonomy. So, um, you know I guess if we're talking twenty years out, I'd say more fleet ownership, higher ratio of used. And fewer OEMs, and certainly higher prices.
0: Interesting, yeah. An electric takes less maintenance. Um, I know that from. That's one of the reasons I got the Volt is because it does it. The first and because it's a, yeah, it's a little bit different because it has the generator in the front that generates electricity. So it does need an oil change every like nine months or twelve months. So uh, it, it's really a unique kind of car. Even though it's always on electric, uh, it does have that generator in the front. So I never have to worry about. Having any range anxiety, but overall the car, the first factory maintenance was at I think forty five thousand miles. So the the cars last longer, I think, and and they need less maintenance.
1: That, yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, no, they're great. So I agree with that. Uh, Grant, tell people how uh, they can get a hold of you or some more information.
1: Um, so the, you simply go to www.tred.com. So it's t r e d dot com and uh if you're looking to buy a used car or sell a used car we'd love to help you and um we are if we're not in your state if you're buying you can buy it from anywhere in the country if you're selling we're in five states currently we're not in colorado yet we're in washington oregon california texas florida and illinois but we will be coming to you soon and uh yeah shoot us a
0: note um we'd love to we'd love to help you out perfect grant Feek, the ceo of the website tread.com Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate your time. Really appreciate it,
1: Jason. I really enjoyed chatting with you today.
0: You can learn more about Tread at Tread.com. The link is on the description of this show. Uh, You can get some information about Grant as well. I I still could not rent out my own car. I I just know what people do to rentals. I know what I do to rentals. And I wouldn't want to take the risk of somebody smoking in my car and never ever getting that smell out. That is the worst and I'm not kidding. That the first thing we do anytime we're renting a car, the girls have to go open the back seat and see if it smells. If it smells, we're out. If <laughs> if it's good, we're in. That's basically our barometer of how we pick out rental cars. Doesn't matter the color, doesn't matter the shape really just kind of want a you know a, a, a general type of car as long as it doesn't smell then we and whatever de- deodorizers they're using the rental car places are using isn't working that would be the m- the most brilliant invention ever is to come up with some kind of deodorizer that actually works as a deodorizer that doesn't just mask the flavor of a car that stinks of cigarette or other smoke smells we got into one. Where was it? Oh, maybe it was, uh, I don't know, somewhere in Florida a while back. Opens up the car door and it it wasn't cigarette smoke, but it was smoke and it was pretty potent. And uh, boom, it hit you in the face. I said, Girls, we're not taking this one. <laughs> we are definitely going to look for a uh, different car. Uh, and maybe it's just a me problem. I don't know, but I think there's others out, uh, others out there like me. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, thanks for uh, being a part of the show. and And uh, always uh, supporting the program here. If you want to get a hold of me, of course, all the contact links are right there in the description of the show. Until next time, I'm Jason Luper, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.